He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. And TGIF, thank God it's Friday. And this is a TriCast. We're on WABC 770. We're on uh, 970 AM, The Answer, and WLIR. And in the studio with us, we have two common-sense Democrats. No Republicans. I guess they went home early We scared them off, John. The Republicans went home early today. (laughs) We have Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor David Patterson, and my sidekick, Lydia Serrani. And uh, we celebrated Greek Independence Day today. And you're from Albania. Mm -hmm. My family we we made the joke about Ukraine. It wasn't a joke, you know. T, you know, what do we call it? Wag the dog. Oh, wag the dog. Oh, yeah, because that's the the movie Albania was part of the whole wag the dog thing. So, but it's true. Unfortunately, here we are, the new reality. Well, we've got a great show for everybody tonight. We are going to have the provost of NYU, Catherine Elizabeth Fleming. She is an academic, a historian. She's also an honorary Greek citizen. We'll also be speaking, of course, it's Friday with Larry Kudlow, Howard Lorber. He is a president and CEO of Douglas Element, also a fellow Greek citizen. Then, of course, we talk to Nicole Petalides, and she knows all there is to know. Fox Business, a former Fox Business correspondent, Dr. Peter Mikolos. He also will give us some insight on Greek medical history, but first... Breaking news, WABC. We have General Jack Keane on the line. He's going to have the latest breaking news on Ukraine. He is a four-star general, former vice chief of staff, also the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Welcome, General Keane. Yeah, yeah, sure. Delighted to be here. Thank you. General, what, what's going on? I understand they're still talking about uh, making peace. Where do you think we are? No, I think we're very much at war, and uh, it's going to continue for some time. I um, I believe uh, from an excellent source that the Biden administration has been putting pressure on Zelensky to make a deal, and that and they've been doing that for well over a, a week. I think it's pretty shameful uh, it, because that, what what we have in front of us here is something we never. Uh, could have imagined at the beginning of the war. The United States Intelligence Services told the president and a national security team of the United States, and likely talked to our European intelligence service as well, that it's likely that in three to five days, the Russians will take control of the capital city and topple the government. And now a month later, and the Russians have been fought to a standstill by the Ukrainian military, so much so that they're actually conducting limited counterattacks and taking territory back. The ground attack has stalled. They still haven't taken a, a major city, although Maripol is certainly uh, close to that end result. And there really is an opportunity here that none of us could have uh, imagined for the Ukrainians actually to win. And that should be the attitude that we have, that that should be the attitude of NATO, should be the attitude of the United States. But it's not. Uh, And and it's unfortunate. And and I think people in the administration want to end it as opposed to win it. And there is an opportunity here that that we should truly take advantage of for the sake of of, uh, the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian military that's fought so valiantly. How do you think that we can, the United States and other NATO countries, how can we help Ukraine win it? Well, we, 
we are giving them more equipment now than we have in the past. But if you listen to President Zelensky, he he was speaking to the EU yesterday, all 27 member nations, and he said, please, please stop the pattern that has been for a month. And that pattern is too little, always late. His words, quote, unquote, unquote. And what that says is that what happened here is people thought the regime was going to collapse very quickly, and the equipment we were given them would be used in an insurgency against Russia, who's occupying the country. So that colored the kind of equipment we were given them, and also how much we were given them uh, was a factor, and the speed at which we were given them. And that's why Zelensky's been uh, complaining all along about it. Well, after a week or two, it was obvious that the regime was not going to fall and they were fighting valiantly. And what we are involved in is high end conventional war using very sophisticated equipment, obviously airplanes, ships, missiles, tanks, and the like. And that is what is needed. Uh, a full throttle uh, commitment to get him everything that he needs and he need, he's been asking for airplanes and there's plenty of them out there we don't have them but nato states definitely have them he wants some tanks and of course he needs air defense systems long range short range and we've given some, them some of them but this is going to go on for weeks and we have to sustain it what what the ukrainians have so you understand is they have displayed something that the russians haven't displayed the skill and the will to fight. And what they need is the capability and resources to assist them in doing that. And that, it, I would have hoped that as a result of the NATO meeting yesterday, that a public policy declaration would have been made that the Ukrainians have turned their war around, much to their favor, and we have an opportunity here to drive the Russians out of Ukraine. And we're going to go after this as much as we possibly can. We're seeking a victory, not an end, a victory. And that is not happening in my judgment. General, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg, sir. I want to ask you, I thought when I heard about uh, President Biden's statement about use of chemical weapons in response to the Russians using it, it was a very tepid statement. What's your view? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And here's another point. I mean, they met behind closed doors, and likely, I'm talking about NATO members, 30 nations, likely, obviously, that issue had to be on the table. The Russians have been waving weapons of mass destruction, chemical particularly, uh, nuclear certainly also, but likely using that is, is, is <clears throat> least likely. But they've been waving it in front of us, obviously, as a, a intimidation and brinksmanship we uh, weapon in front of us. Uh, certainly to force us not to take aggressive action. And we should have had a statement, a public policy statement, coming out of NATO that everybody agreed to in terms of what is our position. And we didn't get it. The chief of, of NATO, uh, Stoltenberg, Secretary General, uh, was wanting to answer a question on that, and he gave uh, something of a tepid answer. Uh, President Biden didn't make a statement about it, but he answered a question on it. And I think his answer produced many more questions uh, than an answer. I think 
a public statement should have had some kind of content in it, my words, that if the Russians use any form of WMD, it is absolutely unacceptable. We will not let that stand. There will be decisive consequences as a result of it. And all options are on the table for NATO, period. I don't think we get into specificity about what those options are. That would be a mistake because it takes away the leverage we have to select that option. But we didn't get anything like that. And it's unfortunate. And hopefully the president's going to speak to the nation tomorrow. Uh, and, I, and I hope he deals with this issue in addition to the resolve and determination we had to see this thing to the end with the Ukrainians. And, and uh, General, uh, I mean, what kind of backdoor relationships are there where the United States is negotiating with Russia and giving them $12 billion or $10 billion or $12 billion on behalf of Iran? And then they couldn't make their monthly payment uh, to the bonds uh, issue, and they let them make the monthly payment out of their frozen funds. I mean, there was oh, John, a definite talk. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, this the Iran nuclear deal, uh, the administration started with the premise that we were going to lengthen the deal. That means the sunset clauses that are in it at the 10-year mark, you can go to a threshold level of capability at the 15-year mark. Uh, there's no restrictions. All restrictions are removed, and you can develop a weapon. We're, we're coming up the 10-year mark in 2025. And this deal we're making is, is clearly a pathway uh, to a nuclear weapon. And the windfall, the, the, the Iranians are going to get billions and billions of dollars from which for them to use that money for malign behavior. All of the rockets and missiles that have fallen on Israel through the years, they all come from the IRGC or the Iranians Republican Guards. That's who provides that weapons. And they got a windfall of money as a result of the original 2015 uh, nuclear deal to do just that. And it fuels the civil war in Syria and fuels the war in Yemen and as a result of it. And we're going to give them more money to create that kind of behavior, it's really unfortunate. And here we are using the Russians to help negotiate on our behalf with the Iranians to get this deal done. At the same time, we're supporting an effort uh, to sustain a war that the Russians have started uh, with a partner country of ours in, in, in terms of Ukraine. It's, it's and I understand outrageous. your friend, General, was it General Meany? Is, is he's made a statement that he's not communicating with his counterparts because they're not answering his calls. But obvious, President Biden and Putin are communicating on the other side. So who's who? Do I need a uh, a scoreboard to find out who's on whose side? Yeah. Well, you know, the Russians, despite the propaganda they put out, they always put out that they're negotiating. But this is a ploy. It, it happened. It, it happened before in eastern Ukraine in 2014. It's happened in Syria time and time again. Uh, every ceasefire that they've ever entered into in the past, they, they always violated. They always have negotiations going on because they, it's part of their propaganda and information campaign. They want to look like they're willing to bring this horrible thing that's taken place to an end. And the fact is 
they're not willing to bring it to an end until they're able to achieve, you know, their objectives. And they're, and they're sticking with this. And the the diplomacy effort is just not real. It's propaganda. Well, General, thank you so much for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. Uh, God bless you and God bless America. And we do need God's help in this. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that, John. Thank you very much. Thank you have so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you. And I understand now we have a true Helene on the uh, mm-hmm. uh, on the. Uh, we have Dr. Catherine Elizabeth Fleming. She is an academic and historian. She has been in the provost of NYU since 2016, basically the dean of all deans. In 2016, she's an honorary Greek citizen, and she spe- specializes as a historian in the modern history of Greece. Welcome to Cats at Night. Thanks so much. A pleasure to be here. And you know why Kathleen loves me? Because me and her husband have the same birthday. Oh, and she's also the Alexander Onassis Professor of Hellenic <laughs> Culture and Civilization in the Department of History at NYU as well. So that's you, true. You're... And 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 John is right as well. But John, that's not the only reason. I okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, tell us, you know, you've developed a, a love for Hellenism. You're an honorary citizen. Tell tell us about how you developed your, the love for Hellenism. Uh, I mean, you do wonderful things for NYU. NYU has become a world power. Uh, talk to us about your Hellenism. So thanks so much. I had an incredible experience. Um, sheer luck brought me as a teenager to Crete uh, at the age of 18. And I did something that my parents weren't excited about, which is that I dropped out of college for a year and accepted a job as a waitress in the south of Crete. Wow. I yeah. saw that movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, it really totally changed the trajectory of my life because I had a chance to learn a a new language, uh, Greek, and uh, to to live in a very different place, a very different culture, one that I really, really came to love and then wanted to learn about academically. And it set the whole trajectory of my career. Well, uh, Kathleen Fleming is the provost of uh, New York University, Mm -hmm. the university I I was eight credits short from graduating, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but I love the place. Uh, And um, uh, tell us uh, uh, also, uh, there was a brain drain in Greece. Do you you see any solution for that? So, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about both things, both NYU and the the brain drain in Greece. And I'll tell you, we very proudly claim you as a graduate, even if you're a a few credits short. Um, So NYU is really fortunate to have uh, received the generosity of the Alexander S. Onassis Foundation, which made it possible uh, for the university to build a program in Hellenic Studies. And I was lucky enough to wind up with a position there um, teaching modern Greek history. And one of the phenomena that people who are interested in Greece are aware of these days is exactly what you referred to, that um, there are a lot of young people in the country, highly educated, very capable people who don't really see an economic future for themselves in Greece. And uh, uh, a lot of people have been leaving the country for that reason. And the main solution is going to be 
for Greece to come up with meaningful employment for them at home. I'm engaged in a project in Greece that aims to do exactly that. Uh, with my partner in Greece, Sofia Papayuanu, we are running a big oral history project supported by the Stavros Niarchos Foundation. And we're employing hundreds and hundreds of young Greek people, uh, training them and having them go out to interview their family members and bring us their stories. And at the same time, we're giving them something really interesting to do and a, and a paycheck. So Greece needs more meaningful forms of uh, livable employment. Otherwise, it's going to lose a lot of really, really great minds. Again, we're speaking with uh, Dr. Catherine Elizabeth Fleming. She's the provost of NYU. Uh, Dr. Fleming, what made you fall in love with the Greek culture? You know, it was so many things. Uh, I was an undergraduate in New York City myself at Barnard College, and it was a radically different lifestyle, a radically different landscape, a very different pace of life. And I came to really have a deep appreciation for the sort of instantaneous generosity that so many uh, Greeks show for a kind of cantankerous, but in a friendly way, argumentative spirit um, that in many ways is deeply intellectual and very, very appealing. And, uh, you know, it was a place that just kind of allowed me to make it a second home and sort of loved me back. And it's uh, a lot easier to be in love with something or someone when you're being loved back. And that was certainly the case for me with Greece for my whole life. I've been really lucky. Kathleen, I love Greece. And we had a discussion. We had a panel discussion at the, uh, today at lunch. And Father, our, our favorite uh, priest, Father Alex, was there. And um, we, uh, one of the problems I also brought up was the real reason for Brexit was uh, they're tired of getting invaded in the UK and England by foreign, so, foreign, foreign people. And they wanted England to stay English and to stay the, the way they grew up. Now, Greece, they're getting invaded from all over the place. The European Union is for open borders. I want Greece to stay as Greek. I want Italy to stay as Italian. I want France to stay as French. Uh, what Do you see a problem coming down the road on this? Look, all of Europe is being confronted with a major problem. I think France is probably uh, the, the leading European nation in terms of having to confront this problem uh, because it's a country that has sort of defined itself um, by a form of Frenchness that I, I think is on the wane. But every every Western European country, every European country in general has, has this problem. In the case of Greece specifically, uh, I think one of the things that uh, makes Greece's position particularly difficult is that a lot of the people who are arriving in Greece don't actually want to be in Greece. They, uh, they are passing through Greece. And that has a very, very different kind of impact on a country if you have lots and lots of people transiting, uh, transiting the nation. Uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm an, I'm an example. One of the most critical things is that you learn the language and that you really, really uh, can connect meaningfully to the everyday life of, of a place. And the extent to which 
people who are not Greek, and I say that as someone who themselves is not Greek, uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to comment negatively on others who aren't Greek, but the success of uh, making a life in a new place really, really derives from your ability to connect to it culturally, uh, linguistically, and to contribute to it even as you, as you benefit from it. And as I say, all of Europe has to figure that out with large populations. Yes, they do have to figure it out. We've got a minute left before we have to break. Tell us what else would you, would you like to tell uh, all Americans? Well, you know, t- today is Greece's, uh, it's, the, it's the equivalent of the, of the 4th of July uh, for, for Greece today, a very, very important day. And I guess what I'd like to tell all Americans as well as all, all Greeks is that the, the same values that propelled the Greek Revolution and the American War of Independence are values that we have to keep in the forefront of our minds uh, today. Look at what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening to Ukraine, being done to Ukraine. And uh, if we don't keep the same democratic values alive um, as the ones that, that propelled those movements, we are going to be in sad shape indeed. Well, Kathleen Fleming, a provost of New York University, lover of Greece, thank you so much for coming on, and God bless you, and, and God bless America. Thank you so much. Thanks, John, for having me. Take care. And when we come back, Larry Kudlow. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. And what the heck is going on with the economy? I don't know anymore. (laughs) I'm going to listen to Larry Kudlow. Larry, Larry Kudlow, one of the best economists in the country. Where, where, where Where are we going? Well, those are good questions. Um, we have higher inflation. It's going to go higher. Uh, I don't think the economy is very strong, but I don't think it's rolling over into recession yet. I think the the stagflation that people are talking about is, is probably the right way to describe it. I mean, I think the first quarter is going to be about 2% real growth and probably about uh, 7 or 8% inflation. So inflation is higher than growth. That's the definition of stagflation. The Federal Reserve has not done one single thing yet to deal with inflation. So hold on to your seatbelts. I, I gave my friend a, a new description of inflation. I said if you have a million dollars and you could buy 10 Mercedes-Benz, if there's a 10% inflation, you could only buy nine. Yeah, but could you buy Vladimir Putin's yacht? <laughs> Larry Kudlow, that's, what did you think of question. Joe Biden basically saying, okay, you know what, gas prices are high, but you know what, this is the step in the right direction to zero emissions. Is he really that clueless, and do they think Americans are that stupid? Well, he is that clueless, and they do think Americans are stupid. The problem is Americans are not stupid, which is why his – Performance on the economy and inflation is about 25 points below water, okay, underwater. But look, um, on that point, Lydia, uh, it's worth noting that because of the war and because Europe wants to be less Russian energy dependent, there is a slight change in policy. Now, this 
announcement yesterday. They're going to try to put a lot more U.S. uh, liquefied natural gas into Europe. All right. They want to put another 15 BCMs into Europe in the next year and uh, maybe another 50 BCMs uh, by 2030. That's not a lot. I mean, uh, it's about 10 percent of what Europe uh, uh, demands. But you saw the change. FERC, the Federal Energy Commission, did hold back on a rule that would have prevented any new pipelines. Now, we don't know the decision yet, but they are holding back instead of voting to pass that rule. And the Energy Department, which has been sitting on six applications uh, for LNG operations, they did sign off on two of the six. There are four remaining. Now, does this mean that uh, Biden is abandoning the Green New Deal? No, it does not. In fact, the Greenies are up in arms even about these small things. But it does show that in response to the war and Europe, Europe is running ahead of the U.S. We're we're behind Europe. Europe wants to import far less uh, from Russia. And the European Greenies uh, are actually now in favor of natural gas or LNG terminals. So that's a good thing. The European Greenies are much more realistic and pragmatic than the American left-wing greenies. So I find those two points interesting. We'll see if it continues. Has there been a sea change in the in Biden policy? I doubt it. But La- because of the war, there has been some change. Larry, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. There's a new uh, proposed rule over 500 pages coming out of the SEC where corporations have to give disclosure about what they're doing to mitigate so-called climate damage. Can you talk about that? Did it actually come out? They, they're out for comments. Yeah, it's out for comments. It's an unmitigated, catastrophic disaster. Absolute disaster. Again, it's using these crazy metrics, the so-called social cost of carbon, upstream, downstream. What it basically does is says to publicly held companies that you have to run your company. They're not just disclosing, Richard. They're telling them how to run their company, suppliers, producers, even customers, and everybody, they have, to, they have to evaluate the climate impact, the carbon impact on the behavior of producers, of suppliers, even of consumers. Now, you can't do that. There is no way to do that, and there's no institutionalized way to do that. So in other words, the data you're going to get out of these companies is not going to be real data, but it's going to impose gigantic costs. Some people are estimating a $10 billion regulatory cost. Uh, this is Gary Gensler. Uh, I knew him in the Clinton days when he was pro-business. Now he's become a radical left-wing greenie. It's an absolute unmitigated disaster. And the SEC does not have a mandate to dictate climate policies to companies. It's the Security Exchange Commission. It's not the Securities Environmental Commission. It's overreaching. It's the same thing they have with the Federal Reserve going out of its lane. Yeah, well, that's we'll see about the Fed. We don't know yet. We knocked off Sarah Bloom Raskin. Uh, we saved America. We killed Raskin. <laughs> so, <laughs> kill the bill. Kill Raskin. What's next? Yeah. Metaphorically. All right. What's the third thing? You, you're, betting, you're, you're betting two out of uh, three. What's the third thing? 
Uh, is something I said, the third thing? Well, no, well, you said kill the bill. We killed it. You <laughs> oh, said yeah. kill Raskin. We killed her. So what's yeah, we... next? <laughs> <laughs> um, all I can tell you is there's so much bad news out there. The cavalry is coming. The cavalry is coming. I truly believe that. The question is, can we make it through the next six or seven months? And we'll just have to work hard to do so. I'm always an optimist. Uh, well, but, I uh, think the companies are going to have a fantastic quarter because they're raising prices like a bunch of – what was the old expression? Like a bunch of drunk sailors. <laughs> uh, and uh, they want to stay in front of the curve on inflation. Uh, the food prices over the next uh, uh, 45 days are going to go to the moon. Um, what's next? I mean, does that mean when people see great earnings on all the companies that the markets will go up? What's what? well, I think markets, markets, look at markets, which have risen the last couple of weeks. They've had pretty good moves. Um, I think the reason for that is the markets do not fear the Federal Reserve. And as I said before, the Fed has not begun to fight. They are still buying bonds and injecting cash into an economy that doesn't need any more cash. They should be withdrawing cash by selling bonds from their portfolio. So the stock market is still basking in a wave or a sea of liquidity. And I think um, sometimes in the short run, inflation is a good thing. Nominal earnings go up. Uh, so that's okay. But beware, because, you know, the workforce, the consumer, the typical family, their wages have gone up 6% or so, but the consumer price index has gone up by 8%. So their real standard of living, their real earnings are falling. And at some point, that's going to be a problem for these companies trying to raise prices. So I would just say in the short run, enjoy it. But in the medium term, it's not going to be so good. We've got a minute left. Anything else you want to tell the American people? No, I mean, I was very disappointed. You know, I want President Biden, when he goes to these international meetings, NATO meeting and so forth, I want him to tell us that he wants Ukraine to beat Russia, to defeat them. Okay, right now, I think that's not Biden's policy. It's like Reagan. I worked for Reagan many years ago when I was a kid. Reagan said to the old Soviet Union, we win, they lose. Tear down this wall. You're the evil empire. Vladimir Putin is an evil man. He's a war criminal. Uh, he should be treated as such. And one thing he, we should do, we should seize and confiscate his yacht. He has a $700 million yacht moored off the coast of Italy. Uh, he is sanctioned. So that means you can seize his assets. And he got that yacht by ripping off the workers of Russia, by stealing money. He is corrupt as well as an evil war criminal. And I regret the fact that Biden will not stand up to Vladimir Putin and that Biden is afraid to push for an all-out victory. Zelensky is so brave and courageous. The people in the Ukraine are so brave and courageous. The Russians are committing crimes against humanity, and the Ukrainians will not give up. It would be great if we lent them support, give them weapons, give them money, and give them moral support by going after uh, Putin and embarrass Putin, embarrass him 
by seizing his yacht and creating a narrative that he is a corrupt politician who has literally stolen the work of the Russian uh, families throughout that country. He should be blamed for that as well as his uh, war crimes. Larry Kudlow, thank you for uh, speaking for for our country all the time, and and God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thank you. And uh, we have we have a break. Oh, we have a break coming, and uh, right after the break, we have uh, Howard Lorber, uh, CEO of Douglas Element, has a lot of real estate in New York. I like to hear, and he loves Greece, and he became a Greek citizen. I like to hear what he thinks about the real estate in New York too. Uh, let's take that break. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. We have another Greek citizen on the line. Who is it, John? Ah, Howard Lover, a good friend and uh, CEO of uh, Douglas Element. And CEO also, I believe, on one of my favorite companies, Nathan's mm. Frankfurt. You can't <laughs> go to Coney Island without having Nathan's. Nathan's Hot Dogs. Howard, how are you? Great, thanks. Nice to be on. And now, happy to be on this year as a Greek citizen. Well, you know, uh, I was there <laughs> when you were sworn in uh, by the Consul General, along with Father Alex, uh, and you were sworn in as a Greek citizen. Tell us, you, tell us about your love for Greece and why you wanted to be a Greek citizen. Sure. So my uh, my my mother's parents, so my grandparents on my mother's side, were born in uh, Saloniki, Greece. Uh, and as many of other Jews um, that stayed, they left very early and came to the United States. They were basically uh, teenagers, and uh, that saved them from what uh, happened when the Nazis invaded Greece. And uh, my grandmother always told me stories that, you know, how terrible that everyone they knew and every friend they had and relatives were, you know, sent sent in the uh, livestock cars to uh, to Auschwitz uh, to be murdered. Uh, so I thought that uh, I wanted to, you know, have some of that heritage to honor them and to honor a lot of the Greeks that did help to hide Jews. Uh, the Greek, Greeks, I think, got a bad rap uh, in some regard. But there were, plenty of, there were plenty of Greeks. There were plenty of Greek citizens. There was plenty of Greek clergy. There was plenty of Greek police officers that helped hide the Jews uh, when the Nazis were invading. And that's why I really wanted to do it. Uh, memory of my uh, grandparents and all their relatives and uh, to all the Jews that were murdered. There was 100,000 Jews in uh, all of Greece. Uh, I believe about 90,000 were, were murdered. Wow. Wow. Now, how do you feel about Greek food? Well, I grew up eating it. My grandmother did the cooking in my house, and so uh, it was great for me. I remember, I remember in those days when I was going to school, most of the most of the kids in my class were eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and tuna fish sandwiches. I was eating spinach sandwiches and tatama sandwiches. Oh my God, I was. We had pizza. Like that. We, I felt the same way. We had Greek food at the studio today for Greek Independence Day. Now you're also CEO of Douglas Element, and, and you have a big. Uh, uh, following here in New York City, uh, tell us about how you feel about New York and how do you think uh, are we are we going to open up New York? Yeah, I, look, I'm 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 bullish on New York. 
Um, I've seen what's happened in this past year after uh, they closed us down from selling and from doing anything in the city. And it didn't take long, and all of a sudden it became a bull market in the New York uh, real estate. We had the best year by far of any year we've ever had. We did uh, $16.5 billion of sales in uh, New York City uh, for 2021. And it's uh, continuing in that trajectory. And so uh, people probably don't remember, but really even before the pandemic, the market was going down. The market was going down because city government was terrible. They kept threatening new taxes. They didn't just threaten. They put new taxes in place. They put in a mansion tax. They, uh, they, they raised the uh, recording tax. They raised the transfer tax. And then they talked about, uh, about uh, putting in a, a peer-to-tear tax, which would mean if you had a second home anyplace in New York City, um, you would have a tax. In addition to your regular taxes, you would be paying a tax yearly. Uh, so it, it really, you know, stopped people from thinking about buying. And uh, all that now is sort of, you know, past history. And I think we have the chance. I think that uh, Mayor Adams really wants to do the right thing. What he says is really what he wants to do. It's not going to happen as fast as we'd all like it to. Don't forget you have a city council that's really uh, not that great. Uh, they're very, very progressive. And he's not going to be able to, you know, do everything quickly. But I think he has the, he has the will and he will find a way and uh, he started already by, you know, having more uh, cops on the street and uh, making more arrests. And um, although he has to deal with, you know, as I said, the politics and, and the uh, district attorneys that uh, are not too good, uh, he, he, he's going to make it work to the best of his ability. And we're surely, surely in a better place today than where we were with the last mayor. Uh, Howard Lauber, I agree with you 100 percent. I stand side by side with you that uh, we need New York City to come back and and right now uh, Mayor Adams is our our hope and we support him 110 percent. Thank yeah, you so much. It's very interesting because we speak to a lot of people in different markets and you know what I think that every everyone that I know really pretty much everyone that I know that that moved to Florida they didn't sell their, their apartments or their or their townhouses in the city. It's interesting and also we see a now, as, as, as the world has opened up and people can start traveling again, what we're seeing is many foreigners coming wanting to buy a house or, or an apartment in the city. And what I think is, is really happening is that New York City is such a great attraction that New York City is going to become the number one second home house for the whole world. For the whole world. Yeah, I think you're correct. I, and where I they think... come from, they want a place in New York City, and that's what's going to really help the city. And Miami is going to become the capital of North and South America. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you that's so right. much, Howard Lauber, and we'll catch up real soon. And uh, Look forward and... to it. Thanks for inviting me, and uh, wish everyone God bless a great you. Uh, Independence Day. Thank and you. See you at the parade. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, let's take uh, – we're taking a break? No. Do we have to take a break? No. Okay, let's go. Uh, let's go, let's go to my next guest. When I uh, talked to Nicole a few minutes ago, with us today is Nicole Petalides. Nicole is a longtime friend. She's a friend. Uh, her mom was a longtime friend and still is. She shows Greek immigrants can accomplish in media, 
in this city, in this country. Uh, Nicole, how are you this morning? Oh, John Katsimatidis, it is wonderful to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me on your great WABC radio. I'm so thankful that uh, you always include me in your Greek Independence Day programming. We did the, we did the wonderful parade together for eight years. Greek Independence Day Parade on Fifth Avenue. Eight years in a row we did that with our friend Ernie Anastas. And, you know, we are proud immigrants, proud Greeks, but Greek Americans, right? And I think you really hit the nail on the head, John, when you said it shows what, you know, when people come over and what they really can do. You mentioned my mom, Fanny Holiday, and she launched the Greek newspaper, Borini Newspaper, which she had for 20 years and um, really taught me about media and journalism. And then you've been in media forever, forever, forever and a day. And so from there, I went on and I did a lot of business news, as you know, um, at Dow Jones, CNBC, Bloomberg, Fox Business. And now on Monday, it is my great pleasure to be back at the New York Stock Exchange. And I'm so excited to do this with TD Ameritrade Network, uh, Schwab. It's a collaboration and it's another new network. I launched Fox Business on the very first day with Rupert Murdoch and Roger Ailes. And now we're really going to try and do this again here with TD Ameritrade Network. So it's exciting to have the opportunity to talk about business, particularly um, yourself as you, you came over with nothing, worked hard, worked in business. And now, look, right, from the radio to the Gristides to oil, real estate, uh, you have your hand in everything, John. How's business been for you? Well, you know, we I am working very hard to make sure New York City survives because right now the biggest problem in New York City is that uh, the crime problem. We, we have licked the COVID problem. Now it's our turn to, to lick the crime problem. And if we fix the crime problem, New York will be bigger and better than ever. Yeah, and, you know, that's what it's about. It's about resiliency, just like the immigrants and, you know, the Greeks. My mother came over on the boat straight to Ellis Island. In fact, she received the Ellis Island Medal of Honor, which I think you got, too, which I really am so proud of what she was able to accomplish, learning the language, learning business. And, um, you know, being very entrepreneurial, but it just shows the resiliency and how important it is that we care about our community, our nation, our children, our education. And to your point, New York City, where I live with my children, my husband and my children, has been an atrocity. I mean, just the crime, uh, mental health issues, which which I know we need to take care of, but terrified riding the subway i got mace in both hands john morning noon and night i just walk the streets with mace in both hands and why shouldn't i when you hear what's going on and business leaders like yourself have really made this plea to eric adams and all the uh politicians to make some really key changes and hopefully they're doing exactly that well i'm such a proud greek american and i really thank you for this opportunity i have um obviously both my parents were born on the beautiful island of cyprus my husband's family's from northern greece nicole thank you for coming on and uh it was wonderful of you and let's hope let's catch up again real soon I look forward to it, and I'm hoping for the stock market to improve for the 401ks and IRAs so people feel really good 
uh, about life overall and, and passing on to their children. John Katsimatidis, thank you thank so you. very much for including you, me Nicole on this important P- day. Thank you, Nicole Petalidis, and uh, God bless Greece and God bless America. Zito Elas, thank you. Thank you. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Well, we're back, and uh, today is uh, a Greek Independence Day. And uh, what? Well, who's the one of the best Greeks I know? He's with us today. He's Dr. Peter Michalos. Peter, how are you today? I'm doing great, Sean. I'm very proud to be an American of uh, Greek descent and the founding fathers, like Thomas Jefferson said, that they used the Athenian democracy as the basis to create our great country. And then Thomas Jefferson uh, took lines like uh, from a Picarus of Samos that all men are created equal with certain alienable rights. And that's right out of Greek history. And Thomas Jefferson wrote to his nephew, if you want to become an educated man, you'd have to read the Greek historian Thucydides and the other ancient uh, Greeks, and they all were Hellenophiles. And that uh, makes me very proud that the roots of uh, American democracy were founded upon Athenian democracy. And I'm going to talk a little about uh, history of medicine in Greece. And back in the days of Homer from 800 B.C. and Homer of Chios described wound treatment when he was writing the Iliad, and he talked about how to treat those types of wounds. And ancient Greeks invented modern medicine. There was medicine in other countries before that, but the first one to organize it and actually create a code of ethics and the Hippocratic Oath, which doctors around the world take to this day. He was the first one to organize taking a medical history, asking patients about their environment exposure, their diet, their activity level, and that all came together. And moving on in history, we had doctors, I'm going to just hit on some of them, who created the pap smear test, Dr. George Papanikolaou, who was a professor at Cornell, who came originally as an immigrant from Evia, Greece. That's why we celebrate immigrants. And he has saved millions of lives of women from cervical and uterine cancer with early detection. And it's even used in lung smears and biopsies to save millions of women. And we move forward in history now. We have fantastic uh, Greek doctors, like even right here in New York, like Dr. Lorraine Chrysomalis, the gynecologist, the new generation, and Dr. George Florakis, the head of the Eye Bank in New York, saving sight, Dr. Effie Singus, the ICU specialist who saved many people in COVID, Dr. Dasiopoulos at Stony Brook, who was uh, the chief of vascular surgery, who was one of the first to figure out that COVID was a clotting disease and started giving anticoagulation to people. Of course, Dr. George Yankopoulos, who trained at Columbia from Regeneron, who did the ALEA injection that saves people from diabetic retinopathy and from uh, macular degeneration. He also was the inventor with Dr. Christos Kiratsus at Regeneron, another Columbia fellow, who did the monoclonal antibody that worked great against the alpha and the delta variant, and also invented the prolulent cholesterol injection that not only lowers your cholesterol and LDL, but it reverses plaque and heart disease, which is quite amazing. Then we have the um, Dr. Kiratsus also invented the IV antibody for Ebola that saved many lives. Also, the newest antibody, Dr. George Skangos, invented in San Francisco from Veer Pharma. That is the one that's helping people with the Omicron variant. Of course, we have the great Dr. Roy Vagelos, who distributed ivermectin around the world. Everybody talks about it with COVID, but it was originally developed to kill onchocerciasis, which was the number one cause of infectious blindness in the world. In the 1980s, he distributed it free to the whole world. 
and saved about 55 million people from going blind. So some of these things are amazing. And we also have to uh, remember that the two highest recorded IQs in the world were uh, Greek, Dr. Vangelos Katsoulis in Thessaloniki, Greece, a psychiatrist, and another uh, Greek, Nick Likurgos from uh, Lyon, France, who was also from Greece. So, Dr. Peter, I want to thank you. We have a hard out right now. For our sponsor, Not a problem. and thank you so much for coming on. And there's so many Greek doctors. Uh, let's go to that hard out right now. Thank you, Doctor Peter. God bless America and immigration. With us today is Robert Udanaway, and he is the CEO of Goya Foods. And we're so happy to have Goya as a sponsor for Greek Independence Day. And uh, thank you so much, Bob. Thank you. God bless you, John. Thank you so much, and congratulations to you. And thank you for having me on the show, and congratulations again on this special day. Goya is proud to celebrate uh, with the Greek community and all ethnicities in their struggle for independence. We are a very blessed uh, society here in the United States, you know, and uh, my recent trip to Poland and the Ukraine border led me on a spiritual journey that solidified my beliefs in helping the children of the world. Uh, by combating child trafficking through our Goya Cares Initiative. And today, Pope Francis celebrated a very special Mass for the consecration of Ukrainians and Russians to the heart of the Immaculate Mother Mary. And today also marks a very important religious holiday in the Catholic faith, the Feast of the Annunciation. This holy day commemorates the day in which Mary was informed that she would be carrying the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Mary was the protector of her unborn child and would become the nurturing and loving mother that we know her to be today. So I would like to take a moment to reflect on those uh, that we can protect, love, and nurture our children. They are our most precious gift from God. And while we celebrate and lift our glasses to toast today, I would like to take a moment and thank those people that stand up for their countries and beliefs to fight for their independence in God's name and for their children. I want to give a special thanks to John for pledging in advance that your collection for Ukraine will be used toward more food and supplies to the country through our Goya Gives initiative. Thank you always, John, to you, Margo, your family, my family, the extended WABC family, for your unwavering support. God bless you all. and. Opa. Opa. Well, thank you, Bob. And I stand side by side with you in uh, helping the people of the Ukraine that are suffering a great deal uh, today. And uh, God bless you, too. And and so we stand side by side. Opa. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, all the money we're collecting from the WABC uh, Foundation, you go to WABCRadio.com. Hit that donation button, and every dollar, 100% that wherever we collect, we're going to give to the Ukraine uh, for, for food. And we're going to donate directly to Goya Foods, and Goya Foods at wholesale is going to get it to the Ukrainian people. Thank you all for today. God bless New York, and God bless America. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.